You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. So I'm going to begin reading um, this morning in Psalm 51 as a prayer for us before we get into Hebrews. Uh, Psalm 51, I have been, uh, I've set aside, so I'm a couple of days into my plan April being a sort of a, uh, a revival month for me, a restoration month for me to get ready for some things that are coming in May and June as far as speaking um, and where the Lord is, is opening some doors and I'll share more with, with you about that in the days to come. And so Psalm 51 is kind of one of my revival prayers. I want to open that as a prayer for us. Then we'll get into Hebrews chapter 8 through 10, which will take us probably two weeks to get through. I'll be with you the next five, counting today, and we'll make our way through Hebrews. So let's go to Psalm 51. Perhaps you are familiar with the context. David has had this issue with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet has confronted him, and God has forgiven him. So here is his prayer, and it is ours this morning. Have mercy on us, O God, because of and according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is always in front of me. It's against you and you only that I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I was brought forth in iniquity And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place of the heart. Purge me with hyssop, I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit or a steady spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, critical, critical pronoun, your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. You will not delight in sacrifice, I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so Father, in the context of the prayer of David, understanding what we're going to cover this morning, that all of what he prayed was dependent upon the cross and the resurrection that you even then were orchestrating and working out even as David was praying a prayer that could only be truly answered in your sovereignty and in your eternal plan of redemption for a lamb that would be slain so that righteousness could be David's and could be ours. We do ask that you would create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us and fill us with your spirit and not remove us from your presence, which again, we know is only possible because of what we will study even this morning. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Thank you again for the privilege of freely and without fear studying your word this morning. 
and for the honor and privilege of speaking to these men. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. I know your notes say Hebrews 8, 1 through chapter 10, verse 18. Uh, I'm going to actually begin in chapter nine with you. This is, um, in my opinion, the most important section of this book of Hebrews. It is the meat of the book. It is the core of the book. If you took out chapters eight, nine, and 10, you would take out the argument the writer is trying to make to the people that he is writing to. And we'll get into it a little bit later on. And and the notes that you have in front of you, I will try to follow very, very, uh, well, with probably some discipline that's very rare for me. But I cannot emphasize to you enough, chapters 8, 9, and 10 are the core of what he's trying to get to. And I'm going to repeat this over and over as we go through this process. The writer of Hebrews is helping this group of people understand that God has made it possible for them to be changed at the core of who they are. He is making it possible for them to understand that God is rewriting, he is, he is uh, reforming, and we'll see that come up here a little bit later, the very being of who they are. Perhaps you've heard this phrase when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, being always has to be changed before doing. You can do things and hope that the being of who you are is changed. But until the being of who you are is changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, all the doing in the world is not going to bring peace to your heart and to your soul. I want to begin reading, and actually the verses are on your notes there. I'm going to begin reading though in verse 6 of chapter 9, and then when I get to Uh, verse 9 and 10, I'll take you to your notes. So look in your copy of the scriptures with me. In chapter 9, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, uh, has been talking about this temple. He's been talking about, well, really the tabernacle and the tent that the children of Israel were so used to, and even what they were seeing with the the, the, uh, the tabernacle that they watched that was going to be destroyed, he's moving in them in a direction to see the work of Jesus. So look at verse six. I'm skipping the first five because he's talking about the different uh, rooms in the, in the temple and then he's talking, he brings us into this place where only the high priest could go, where the glory of God was, where the Ark of the Covenant was and uh, where Harrison Ford found the, the, uh, the t- uh, Ark. Verse six, these preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second place, the holiest place, only the high priest goes. Now, gentlemen, you understand that's the issue at hand, whether or not I can be in relationship, in the presence, and in the indestructible position of being in the presence of God. This is the issue. How do I have a relationship with God where he does not just strike me and destroy me, which he can in all justice and righteousness do. And, and when, when, the, when this audience is under the influence that everything they know is under attack, everything they know of what draws them to God, the institutions they have counted on that draws them to God are under attack. And it won't be long that this generation will probably see the destruction of their religious practice as far as the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. Now he's pressing in to the very issue of an audience 
with God. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood. This issue of blood is going to come up over and over now from chapter 8, eight 9, and 10. Watch this. Which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. At this point in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews starts using words no one else uses in the New Testament. And he starts using words that are unique to the audience. They're not unique to the culture, but they're not words that Paul ever uses. This is one of the reasons as you go through chapters 8, 9, and 10, you can start seeing why people would make the argument Paul was not the author unless Paul was writing back to those of Jewish heritage to see something different. But when he's talking about, when he uses the word unintentional sins, he's talking about this complete guilt of who we are that we don't even know how guilty we are. He's talking about the very nature of our being, of our souls, the you that makes you who you are. He says the priest goes in there and he is in front of the presence of God bringing blood for the guilt of who you are that you're not even aware of how guilty you are. And that's when he uses this word unintentional sins. It's an unintentional result of my being of having been born in Adam and in sin. So that's what the priest is doing. Now verse eight, by this, by the action of the Holy Spirit, by the action of the priest, I mean, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is indicating or the Holy Spirit is demonstrating or showing to us that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. In other words, he's telling this audience, everything that you can see and everything that you can practice will not suffice for a change in your being and a reformation in your position in the presence of God. Now, I'm gonna pick up in verse number nine in your notes, okay? So go to your note sheet, and I have the verse written out for you with some, some definitions in parentheses. According to this arrangement, the arrangement we just read about of the, the temple and the work of the temple and the holy uh, or the, the high priest, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect. Now, here's another word that is not unique to the New Testament, but used more in Hebrews than in other places of the New Testament. So let me read it again. And I'm just going to go pretty slow with you guys today, okay? Which is, I'm fighting my nature, but I just, I think this is, this issue is so critical. So if all I do is get through this verse today, we'll be good, okay? And, and then we'll spend the next five weeks trying to finish the notes. So according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect. Now in parentheses, I've tried to help you see this definition of what he means by perfecting. It is to execute fully. It is to finish it is to place in a condition of being final or finality. It is to advance a person to final completeness of character. All of this is not doing stuff. This is all at the core of who the man is. It's his being. This next part of the definition, a perfection that needs no other provision. There's another way to say that, and it's this way, and I didn't put it in your notes. It is, it is a perfection or a completeness of the kind that needs no other provision. Now, that's a lot of definitions, I'm not even finished. To be fully developed. So let's back up and understand what the writer is, is telling this audience. 
Because they know, they know through the work of, of the priest and through the work of the tabernacle, they know in the being of who they are that there's still something not right. There's still something missing and it's crumbling. And the reason they know that, and we'll look at this either today or next week, is because even their Old Testament is always crying out, even the prophet Jeremiah, for something else. Because Jeremiah referred to something changing inside of them. So they're wondering when that will happen. According to this arrangement, so let's start reading it again. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot advance a person to final completeness of character. I'll read it again. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot bring a perfection that needs no other provision. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot bring you to a place of being fully developed in the being of who you are. Now let's keep, I'm going to start reading it over again. I know you feel like you're in a class now, but I would make apology, but this is the core of where he's headed. So according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect, now skip the parentheses section, look at the next part, the conscience. That's a critical word as well. Another word that's fairly, not new to the New Testament, but more important to the writer of Hebrews than elsewhere. And be careful that you realize conscience is more than just what makes you feel bad for something you do. It is more than a Jiminy Cricket moment. Okay, look in the parentheses. It is the present idea of who you are. It is the inward moral impression of actions and principles. It is the inward, this is the most important part of the definition, the inward moral and spiritual frame of who you are. Now the writer is telling them, everything you can see in the temple and all the actions of the temple cannot bring to completion the change of the core of your being that you long for. Now, if, we, if I'd have been writing it in our day and time, we would probably have to use all these definitions. But this audience understands that there's something crooked, there's something offset, there's something not right at the very core of who I am. And we have known this ever since the first temporary tabernacle was erected and we could not get in the presence of God. Let's keep reading. Uh, in fact, let me just start over again and I'll skip the parentheses. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They only deal with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The only place in the Bible this word is used is right here. It's not used anywhere else. It's not even close somewhere else. And that what it means is to make something straight, watch this part of the definition, to restore it to its natural and normal condition. The reason that definition is so critically important is because of the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection is not simply so our destination eternally is changed, but so the relationship is eternally changed first. My ability to walk into the holiest place in the presence of God and not be completely destroyed. There had to be a reformation. This is another one of those words that you look at and Paul never uses this word. We're not shown this word at all in the New Testament. But the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group to help them to understand everything is being restored there is something new happening. And we're going to see when we get to chapter 11 and chapter 12 and even part of chapter 10, they need this hope in their heart 
because everything they have visually been able to see and everything they have physically been able to cling to is being wiped away. And we'll see that in a moment when, or in a few weeks possibly when he tells them don't lose heart because a reformation has taken place that cannot be stolen, cannot be shaken and is the anchor, as he said earlier, of your soul. Now, what he will do, in fact, let me have you turn now and take you to another verse. Go to chapter 10. It's not on your note sheet, so go back to your copy of the scriptures and go to chapter 10, verse 14. Chapter 10, verse 14. This, this section, so to speak, really begins with chapter eight. Don't go back. Let me just talk to you for a minute. It starts in chapter eight, verse one, because what the writer says is this. The point in what I'm trying to tell you is this. You can go back and check me, but he says, here's the point, and he goes into this issue. Chapter nine, verse nine, is where he begins to turn the corner to assure them of this reformation. When you get to chapter 10, verse 14, he's, he's beginning to finish up his argument, and he's going to change, he's gonna finish his argument by verse 19, because then he's gonna tell them why they don't have to lose hope. But let's go to verse 14 of chapter 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, I'll come back to this, but just a heads up. Let's read it again. For by a single offering, he has perfected once and for all, and its results continue even now. So it's a done deal that continues, okay? It's a done deal that never stops. It's not a done deal that's continually improving. It is a perfected issue that's results are still known in your life today. That is perhaps one of the most important issues you need to understand. That when you came to Christ, and gentlemen, please understand, coming to Christ, um, as one of our youth said this past Wednesday, said, it is not praying a prayer, it is the surrender of your life that is a change place. Gentlemen, it is, I, for many of us, we remember praying a prayer, but the question and the, the issue that is being put before the, the audience of the writer of Hebrews is, there is a time when the Holy Spirit deeply changes and God changes the being of who you are. And when that happens, when you are made new, when you are born again, there is a perfection at the core of the being of who you are that is established, that is sealed, that cannot be done away with. Gentlemen, that is the gospel. You don't deserve it. What I deserve from God is to be completely destroyed. And that is not a wrathful, mean God as Bill Maher would have you believe but is a God of justice who owes nothing to mankind but because of a commitment to the holiness of his nature that is a perfection of love as well, has once and for all presented his son that when you come to him, regardless of how you feel this morning, has perfectly made right and brought back to normal a relationship you could not earn. It has been perfected, and the rest of the verse is critical as well. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That word is, you have been made holy, you are being holy, and he is constantly working on your holiness, your saintliness. It is a work. Now, 
Look again at verse 14 because I want you to see something else and then we'll see if we can get into the notes a little bit. For by a single offering, this is important because he's, he's been referring to the repetition of offerings. So go back to chapter nine, back to chapter nine and find your way to verse 12. Find your way to verse 12. Let's just read verse 11 and 12 together. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, you know about that because of this Melchizedek issue we looked at two weeks ago. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, that tent really being himself, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Here's where we're going, verse 12. He entered, he entered into the holiest place, the presence of God, once for all, into the holy places. Now, I told you chapters eight, nine, and 10 are the core of his argument. This phrase, once and for all, I'm gonna show you again. This is where he uses it. This is the meat of his presentation. This is the meat of his argument. You remove chapters eight, nine, and 10, you remove his cause. So find your way in chapter 10 to verse 26. Verse 26. And these are all things you, you guys can do in your own study as you read it over and over and you, you begin to see repeat repeated phrases. Verse 26. For then, he, that is Jesus, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared, our scriptures say he, the pronoun, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it's the second time he uses this phrase. Keep reading. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now chapter 10, verse 11, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, which we just read. This repeated phrase, this one offering. Gentlemen, for you and I, we don't wrestle with that. We don't read this and go, wow, that changes the whole game. But to this audience, it changes everything. Because even though they have heard this this Messiah died on a cross and was resurrected, and even if you go back to the book of Acts and see in Acts chapter 15, this audience still struggled with the expansion of the completed gospel. If you go back to Acts chapter 15, you even see the church leaders in Jerusalem wrestling with the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus and not having to be circumcised, not having to offer offerings, not even having to go to the temple anymore. And now, all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews is is writing to them and saying, gentlemen, even all this that you could do does nothing for the being of who you are. It's been handled through Jesus. And we may be tempted to think that doesn't apply to us. But on the contrary, gentlemen, we just read the words of, of David, the patriarch, so to speak. And all of us, most of us, 
know exactly what it's like to hear and to see and to feel and to know the darkness of our heart in sin and to think we have to start going to Bible study and to church and to element services in order to get ourselves back into right relationship with God. We know what offerings and sacrifices we present to the Lord to try to assuage our sense of guilt and brokenness before the Lord, but the truth of the gospel is there is nothing you can add to it. There is nothing you can add to your forgiveness. There is no point, there is no part in your brokenness or in my brokenness, whether that be cheating or sexual or mental or whatever it is, that when I fall to my face, and it's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, confessing my sins, when all I do is acknowledge that I am still a man who sins, there is no part of even that prayer that I could bring to the Lord that adds anything to a price that has been paid. That is the gospel, gentlemen. You cannot bring anything to the table of worth for the redemption and the reformation and the completion of your soul and your salvation. You cannot. Nor can you do anything that would cause your salvation to not be perfect. Get this. You cannot do anything that would render any portion of your salvation Less than perfect. I'll go back to the men that we'll talk to this week and maybe it'll help you in some area of your life. There will be men in this room coming this, this weekend who have an undeniable testimony of giving their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and they knew it happened when they were 10 or 12 or 15. But what they didn't know was gonna happen in their life was at the age of 16 they were gonna be raped by an uncle or a grandfather who would lay them on the ground and say, be a girl. I'm being hard with you this morning, but this is the truth. This is what happens. That well over 85% of these men who struggle with these same sex attraction issues were abused and molested. That percentage is higher for girls who struggle in this area. And that young guy because people called him something or told him he was something and who felt a little bit different and really liked to play in the kitchen more than he liked to play in the fields. Jacob and Esau. And the next thing you know, he doesn't know how to fight this. All he knows how to do is give in to something. And there's this fight in his nature that says, this is not who you are, but it's something he's struggling with and he can't get away from it. He's been told different things. When that man sits in this room this weekend, and I don't know what I'm speaking on yet, but this may come up, and I say, there is nothing you can do to render the forgiven nature of the being of who you are any less perfect. Do you realize what's being told to this person? He cannot offer enough sacrifices. And gentlemen, for those of you who've done nothing wrong, your life is the picture of perfection. I mean, the worst sin you've done is, I'm not even gonna name what it was because you're the kind of guy that would say, I actually haven't even done that. The worst guy in this room, even the perfection of your being adds nothing to your salvation, nothing. There is nothing that our heavenly father looks at when he lines us up in heaven and goes, you, now you are impressive. It doesn't, but he looks at us and says, I have perfected 
my relationship with you in my initiative through my son who sits here and there's nothing you can add to it or take away from it. You can come to element service tonight and you can touch somebody and they be healed and you can get in the tub and walk on water. Nothing will add to it, gentlemen. That is the gospel. That is the power of the gospel and to a group of people who will probably lose their lives. We'll see it in chapter 10 later. To a group of people who will probably watch the temple be ransacked. To a group of people who will probably have to make a decision to give away their lives because they will be run over by a Roman Empire. Who will see everything they count on destroyed. He's telling them, Once and for all, by a single sacrifice, your being, your position has been reformed and it has been changed. And he'll tell them a little bit later on, as we'll see, just like he will tell us, don't throw away this confidence. Let's go down to uh, the uh, first thing there under the notes. It says, Jesus, greater than angels. Let's just hit this for a minute and then we'll call it a day and Next week, we'll pick up with the number four. I just want to review these three and make sure that we're of the same mind. Remember what he, this is just a review, okay? Uh, Jesus is greater than the angels or spiritual beings. In your notes, it says, heavenly beings are not what I need, nor are they sufficient for a relational reformation. Angels cannot change my being. To you and I, that may seem... Um, weird, that may seem, you know, we get that. I, I'm not praying to angels, but you'd be surprised in this day and age, still how many people, I mean, they're praying for their, their angels and the Lord's angels and for the angels to do this and for the angels to cover this and the angels to cover that. If you never ask God anything about angels, but all you do is focus on, dear God, through Jesus, help me to be everything I need to be. Thank you that I'm covered in my relationship with you through Jesus. You're not going to miss anything. If you miss not knowing who your angel was, you're not going to miss anything. If you look up in the clouds and you see an angel, that's not going to change anything. There's, there's nothing about angelic beings that changes who you are. Nothing. Nothing at all. And, and, and people can venerate these visions and they can speak of angels, but neither Michael the archangel or Gabriel will change your being. Nothing can be reformed. Now the next thing he told us, and we've already looked at it, number two, Jesus, greater than Moses and provider of a better and more permanent rest. Now, Please understand, when he says Moses, and I wrote it in your notes, a friend of God in his person, office, or work was not able or even sufficient to mediate a necessary rest and relational reformation. This is huge. This is almost blasphemous. Because if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus was transfigured before the three amigos, what, who appeared? Moses was one of them. I mean, he was the venerated patriarch. He brought the law. He went up to the mountain. He saw God. He visited with God. He spoke with God. He was the friend of God. He came out of his prayer time, the Old Testament tells us, and his face so glowed with the glory of God, he had to cover it. And really, he covered it so people wouldn't see that it was fading. This was a holy, holy man. 
It was a man who was, who was the, he was the, just it. And when the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, says, Jesus puts Moses in his place. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. But Jesus is greater because Moses could not even expedite or make possible a relational reformation. I love that verse again. A time of reformation. Setting it right. Putting it back in its original condition. The final one he talks about, number three. Jesus, a superior high priest in lineage, office, purpose, and even in his offering. Your notes read, the set apart and genetically pure priestly order was not sufficient for a deeply personal relational reformation. Jesus came so my being, to use our corny corny phrase, the me that makes me who I am, the very core of who I am that relates to the very core of the character of God could not be made right by angels, by a great man, or by even a high priest. And I want to show you one more place. And next week we'll come back and talk more about this mediatorial role of Jesus. But let's turn over and make sure we also remember this verse in Romans chapter 3. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. So you will see the consistency of the scriptures. We'll, we'll conclude here in Romans 3. Because whether the writer of Romans and Hebrews is the same person or two different people, the scriptures agree wholeheartedly on the nature of this salvation in the gospel. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known or demonstrated And literally that would read the God-centeredness of God. The, not the right actions of God. God's actions are all correct and right and holy. But his God-centeredness has been made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So where the writer of Hebrews tells us this is a picture, the writer of Romans is telling us the law and the prophets are pointing. It's all still pointing. And we'll see in our notes next week how all throughout the Old Testament, there is this yearning for a reformation. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. Verse 23, the repeated verse that many of us have shared, but maybe misshared at times, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's so amazing about that phrase, guys, is it doesn't say for all have sinned and may not get to heaven. That's not untrue. We will go to heaven through Jesus. But the greater tragedy is that we have fallen short of being able to enjoy the perfection of the character of God in an unhindered relationship. The greater thing is that God is making a way for me to be in perfect union with him that requires nothing of me because I could bring nothing. Adam and Eve walked in the glory of God, unhindered access, acceptance, love, and relationship. And when they sinned, the Bible tells us they were afraid. That's the glory we walked away from in Adam and Eve and God made right. Verse 24, 
And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Interesting, Paul speaks of justification, the writer of Hebrews never does. He speaks of being perfected. He doesn't speak of being justified and quite literally it's the same thing. It's being put right in the presence of God, but it's all the same gospel, justified by grace. It is a gift through a redemption, let's use the writer of Hebrews words, a reformation that is in Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The writer of Hebrews never refers to propitiation. The writer of Romans refers to propitiation because the the punishment for sin is placed upon a sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews shows us how Jesus took that place for the wrath of God on our behalf. This was to show, the rest of verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just as Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 are the core of the writer of Hebrews' argument. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 are probably the core of what Paul writes in the book of Romans. It all boils down though to a reformation of my being. And though all I've said this morning might be a review to you in something you are completely familiar with and convinced of. My hope is that the meditation on what has been done for you through Christ and the reformation of your being stirs your soul and helps you to understand that this is not religious practice. This is not men trying to be good churchmen. We are broken men who cannot relate to a perfect heavenly father, but whose a heavenly father has made it possible for us to walk in a perfected relationship no matter what I might do. And if your argument is, well, that just means you just think you can go do everything. My friend, you don't understand what it is to be saved. You don't. Let's pray together. Next week, we'll uh, look at the same notes and uh, we'll keep pushing our way through eight, nine, and 10. Father, thank you so much for a once and for all gift secured by once and for all sacrifice in your son Jesus, God the son. Father, any of us who have gotten to know ourselves at all know full well that religion, attendance in church, service in church, right living, still in the depths of the soul and the being of who we are leaves us empty and leaves us wanting. But many of us have also been confronted with the wonder that Jesus was and is and remains and always will remain the sufficient sacrifice and mediator for salvation and of my salvation. And I pray as we go through this day, as we live out a symphony of a life that draws people to Jesus, would you continue to to remind us in ever so sweet and gracious ways how sweet a salvation we have. Not a sweet religion, not a sweet culture of Christianity, 
but a sweet relationship that has been restored and a relationship that, that at its core helps me to truly become everything you've called me to be and designed me to be, impossible to be apart from this relationship. A relationship that frees us from the pressure of performance or the pain of guilt or the ongoing struggle of shame, but a relationship that ushers me into your presence, the holiest of holy places made possible by a mediator who sits at your right hand for salvation once and for all secured. May we be men who daily grasp the wonder of salvation and the gospel and walk as men who have been reformed and are being sanctified, but have been perfected. Thank you for this time. We lift up what's gonna happen this weekend and pray that lives would be encouraged and changed as well. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week, guys. And the tables will be in the right place.